This episode is brought to you by our amazing patrons over at Patreon. From a cup of coffee to a bowl of ramen per month, they've shown their support. If you are enjoying this work, please consider supporting me at patreon.com forward slash Tokushikai Canada. So without further ado, please enjoy this in-depth look. Let's have uh, Ellen and I don't know if Dominique is planning on saying anything to you, but why don't you guys introduce yourself, your background, and then we'll fill you in on what we've done in these sessions so far. And then maybe you can just go into the first question after that. Right. So yeah, uh, tell us a little bit about who you are and which, what brings you here. All right. So my name is Ellen Cousin or Helen Cousin, whatever fits your fancy. I'm good. <laughs> this is Dominique Alfonari. We're originally both from France, but we now live in the United States in Massachusetts, Western Mass. We are both faculties at the University of Massachusetts at Amherst in an animal science department. So we are biologists by training. My Bachelor of Science was in cell biology and animal physiology, and Dom was in biochemistry. biochemistry. Yeah, so a bit different. But we all did PhDs in developmental biology, which is the study of embryos and how they develop. And I do teach now anatomy and physiology of domestic animals. So it's a comparative anatomy and physiology. And I've been doing so for 10 years, something like this, I forgot. <laughs> so, <clears throat> so yeah, so take my answers as they are. I, I'm not a pure physiologist, but I, I know I think <coughs> enough that I could bring whatever insight I have to you guys on the matter of uh, breathing and how it affects your your uh, martial art training. So yeah, I'd like also to mention that we both do Iaido and Kendo actively. I also do Taekwondo on the side and Dom used to be a Judo judo player back in the days. Yeah, about 30 years ago. <laughs> so the, the students that take your classes, what do they typically go on to do in, in their professional work? Uh, there's a big chunks that go to uh, veterinary schools. Another big chunk go either to medical schools or graduate schools to do research. So that's really the bulk of our students. And others become technicians. Farmers. Some farmers. Yeah, it's pretty, pretty broad. Okay, cool. So just a little bit about these sessions. We started this maybe, I think, beginning of the year. No, beginning of December, I think. Both Ron and I had a discussion about a book that James Nestor, uh, a journalist, wrote about on breath, and he talked about all these different things. Cruz Sensei actually mentioned that he he was actually interviewed on the CBC, the Canadian Broadcasting Corporation Radio, last Sunday. Yeah, so Cruz Sensei, you mentioned there's a guy, and it happened to be, yeah, it's the author of the book that both Ron and I were talking about. So we started a session mainly to just practice and think about some of those exercises that help improve both our just general health and also to apply to our martial arts. I also had uh, organized a session with Elena West, who's a Rokudan in Jodo in the UK, and she's been doing breath work and yoga style training and teaching for decades. Uh, so we did a session on that and we were just thinking about all the ways that we can consider our breath, whether in regular life or in our martial arts practice. So these sessions, we, we had both thought about and just discussed what we've learned so far about breath. But thanks to Ron inviting Ashley Mason last two weeks ago, uh, an opera singer, 
who was able to talk from different fields. And that's kind of where we're interested in now is just getting uh, some input from different fields on how the breath works. So we had some questions basically founded in your, your field. So just answer whatever you think is useful or interesting. Does anyone have any questions first about Elaine and Dominique's field of study before we get into there? Okay, Elaine and Dominique, do you have any questions about what we've been talking about, discussing? No, oh, okay. Let's see to catch up on what you've been uh, doing um, before, but yeah, we will. <laughs> cool. So why don't you start whatever, I, you look like you have some notes, so why don't you start talking and then if we have any questions, we'll interrupt. Yeah, absolutely interrupt. When I start to enter my teaching mode, I can talk forever, so don't, don't let me. <laughs> so I think I'm gonna start, so all the, all the four questions that Ron designed, I think we can think about it and really understand what's happening by understanding the, the very base of which muscles are used for breathing. So there's a physiology part, of course, which is why you need to breathe, right? So there's two main components to breathing. We all know about oxygen, right? We need oxygen for our muscles to work, for our brain to, to work. But also we need to remove waste, particularly carbon dioxide that is generated by our organs as the breakdown fuel, which is mostly glucose. And the byproduct of that is carbon dioxide. And removing this carbon dioxide is actually in terms of the timing of breathing more important than oxygenation. And I'll mention that in a, in a few minutes. And if I don't, please uh, remember that. So removal of uh, carbon dioxide and bringing in oxygen so we can function. So that's the physiology of it. The, the physics of it is actually what is the most important for us as martial art practitioners. So we all think, we all know about the diaphragm. Some of us might know about the role of intercostal muscle that will increase or decrease the space between the ribs, which is very important for breathing what we don't necessarily know until we start martial arts is actually our abdominal muscles are also involved, right? So to, to break that down, so when we breathe in, uh, there's two major muscles that, that work for expanding your chest and bringing oxygen in. One is the diaphragm, as we know, that separates the chest cavity from the abdominal cavity. And the other is the intercostal. Actually, we have three types of intercostals the external, medium, and uh, internal. So one of them is involved for breathing in. Breathing out, exhaling requires another set of uh, internal intercostals, but also the abdominal muscles. And that's the masterpiece <clears throat> because abdominal muscles are used for uh, different functions. So breathing, as I, as I just mentioned, but also for other lower body functions. <laughs> And we also need that when we're practicing anything standing or actually even sitting, because it is the major, one of the major core muscles that tether what's happening here with what's happening with your leg. And no matter what martial arts you're doing, you need coordination between those two. So having those core muscle and the abdominals are just one of them. We have more than one. But if you don't engage the abdominal muscle, the entire belt loses its structure and so it's very hard to do things properly efficiently or fast and that's really the key here so the idea of breathing in should you breathe in or not during your exercise and that's really what this is about 
Okay. So, so that's the, the, the introduction. So the first question you had is with considerations to the physiology components of breathing, what does holding your breath have upon them? So when we're breathing, we think about, oh, we are blocking oxygen and, and actually that's why after a few seconds or a few minutes, depending how you're trained, you're going to take your breath again, right? Actually, it's, it's, it's not the oxygen we're missing when we're holding our breath. It's the accumulation of carbon dioxide. So our body reads the chemistry of our blood, which, give, which is a representation of the chemistry of the rest of the body. And yes, it does read how much oxygen is in the blood, but it mostly reads the level of, car of, car of carbon dioxide. Because too much carbon dioxide is, yeah, it's, it's, it's toxic, right? But before it becomes toxic, it becomes a hindrance to, to the physiology in general. If you accumulate too much carbon dioxide in, in, in fluids, in the blood, in your muscles, you're going to decrease the pH. So that's where the biochemist here might actually ch chip in if you want in more detail about that. Changing even slightly the pH uh, within your cells is going to affect your performance. So removing this carbon dioxide is actually very important. That's what it's, it's read first, right? Eventually the lowering of oxygen is also going to be read and force your body to automatically take your breath in. But it's really the carbon dioxide. So I, I did a little experiment yesterday and I have a video for it, but you know, I'm just going to show you the results. So to prove my point that it's when you're holding your breath, your oxygen level in your blood doesn't really change that much on the short term. I use a pulse oximeter we had to have one because we have kids and we're supposed to take that every day before they go to school, whatever. And I, I put it on, on my finger and breathe in first and then just stop breathing for how long it was. I used to be able to do that for two minutes because I used to be a scuba diver and I can only do 30 minutes, 30 seconds. But in any case, what was really important and interesting is that my level of oxygen in my blood did not change in those 30 seconds I was able to hold my breath, even after multiple repeats of that. So really, I can show you the videos if you want. You can also do the experiments at home if you wanted to. So it's really not about the lack of oxygen, right? It's really about removing this carbon dioxide. And that brings about one of the things that uh, you may have heard of, it touch upon other questions, is, is it better to hold your breath or exhale slowly? I think that answers that question, right? If you exhale slowly, you're gonna start removing this accumulation of carbon dioxide and you're likely to hold on longer. So if you want to do, first, for example, your my kata or, or, or whatever you're trying to do, you're better off by always exhale a little bit, maybe emphasizing some movements with a bit more exhale, but you're better off and you probably have a longer run of it if you exhale throughout because you are allowing this carbon dioxide to be removed from your body and therefore your brain center that says, hey, hey, this is too much here will be calmer longer. Can I just dig into two of the things that you mentioned, really get into the details, which is you said that too much CO2 is both a hindrance in terms of changing the pH and also it becomes toxic. Mm -hmm. Could you Describe those in a little bit. What, what, what happens when your pH level changes? So if it goes too low, it's going, you're going to have physiological response to it. If it goes really uh, low, 
by physiological standard, which is not by much, but it's 0.1 or 0.2 pH measure, they're going to start having a response to this. So are you going to um, want to vomit, for example? Are you going to start sweating? You're going to increase your breathing. This is because the pH and carbon dioxide is actually interlinked. So your, your lungs are going to try to expel whatever leftover carbon dioxide may cause this decrease of pH. So you're going to start to increase your, your breathing pattern, which will bring about increase of heart rate, all things you, you don't want. Eventually, if you have too much carbon dioxide, you will die because it will prevent oxygen to actually go into your cells <coughs> and, and, and be used for what it is. Okay. So that's at the level that I understand in terms of oxygen, carbon dioxide. They're in the blood or the oxygen is in the blood. It transfers into the cells, which is part of the fuel that a cell needs to stay alive. And then it expels carbon dioxide back into the blood. So how does, how does the, the level of carbon dioxide in your blood affect that transfer of like good stuff into the cell and bad stuff out? Yeah. So that, so the blood is really just a transport system. It's just there to transport in fuel, which is glucose mostly, and a coherent oxygen, just like a fire. Think about our cells are being a fire. You need fuel. You have logs, mm -hmm. for example, here it's glucose. You have a coherent to burn that fuel, right? Eventually you'll have smoke coming out of it as a result, and you need to remove that smoke. If you have too much smoke, you're going to extinguish your fire. So it's, it's really the, the, in terms of a parallel, it's, it's, it's a pretty good one. And so the blood is just there to, to, to bring in oxygen and this air will move out. And by moving out, it's going to remove the carbon dioxide. That's really what the blood does. So when you read out the blood, oxygen, oxygen level and carbon dioxide, doesn't really matter for the blood per se. It's really about all the other organ that the blood serve and, and distribute and the, the, the good stuff and remove the bad stuff. So when you say that there's not enough or the oxygen level doesn't decrease, mm -hmm. that means like the cells are not losing the fuel that it needs, but there's just too much carbon. I'm still not quite understanding how too much carbon dioxide impact negatively impacts cells if they have the fuel that they need. Yeah. So that's a good question. So uh, what I'm trying to say with that, so it's only for a short period of time, actually our body have dissolved oxygen in the fluid and that actually serve as a reserve. So we have dissolved oxygen reserve in our entire body. So the more water you have, actually, the more oxygen you're going to have in your body. On top of that, the muscles have a little trick. They have this special molecule called myoglobin that also store oxygen, right? So that's just the muscle. The brain doesn't have that, for example. So there's, there's that. In terms of, of fuel, so fuel, it's like the glucose, the sugar. We can also burn fats. Actually, our muscle prefer burning fats for, 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 for fuel. And that, again, is stored in our muscles. So that's why when you have a marathon runner, they can run for four, five, six hours. They don't have to, to eat really. They have all the fuel they need already stored in their muscles. And if you have adipose fat, you also can use that as a fuel. So, so we store oxygen. We store fuel really what we need to, to think about when we're holding our breath is removal of carbon dioxide. And the more exercise you do, the more fuel you're burning, so the more carbon dioxide you produce, and that needs to be removed. So if, if I, I think what Patrick's question is, is how the CO2 level affects the 
oxygen level, if the oxygen level is the same. And so the exchange of the oxygen at the level of the, the blood to the organs depend on the pH and depend on the ratio between the CO2 and the oxygen. So if you have too much CO2, the oxygen is not going to be able to be attached to the blood molecules, okay, the hemoglobin. And so even though you have enough oxygen to supply the body because you have more CO2, it will prevent the oxygen from being carried, distributed. And that's why carbon monoxide kills and it's irreversible is because when it binds to hemoglobin, you can't reverse it with oxygen, okay? Unless you have super high level of oxygen. CO2 will be bumped off by oxygen until the CO2 concentration gets too high and then the oxygen cannot compete. So your blood is mostly CO2 charged and not oxygen charged. So, you know, it's, it's, you can have as much gas in your tank as you want. If you have water in it, it's not going to run. It doesn't matter how much gas you have. If you have, you know, 10% of water, it's not going to run. And if you can reduce that to 0%, then it's going to run fine. But adding gas to it is not going to work very efficiently because the, the, the water wins and the CO2 wins. Okay, cool. Yeah, that, that makes a lot of sense in terms of how much your blood can actually store because everything, if it's a transport system, you can, if it's too much of one thing, it won't have space for other stuff. Yeah. So can you talk about, we talk about if we exhale slowly, it's better than holding the breath. So how does the speed of exhale, of getting rid of the carbon dioxide impact our bodies? So that, that's probably the tougher the question that you, you, you asked because there's not really good, good research on that. And the reason why there's not good research is this is something that is very different from person to person and it's something that can be trained, right? So I don't have a good answer for you for this, but I just want to bring out some, some, something for you to think about. So, so to bring the air into your lungs, it has to go through a series of pipes, right? So the big one here is the trachea and then you have bronchus and stuff like that. Those pipes, though, the bigger they are, the easier it is to fill your lungs. Makes sense, right? So therefore you don't have to breathe for long to, to fill in your, your, your lungs. However, not, not all of us are born with the same piping in, re, in, in ratio to lungs. If you have small lungs to, to, to fill, it also won't last very long, right? But the ratio is not necessarily the same from person to person. So you have to, that's why we can't do really the good science on it, not that I can think of at least. Also there, you have to think about your conditions. So if you have asthma or if you have COPD, so in, in both cases, filling in your lungs is very, very difficult. So for the asthma, because you're making your pipes smaller, so filling in your lungs is, 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 is harder. And COPD, it's at the, the lung level. But. So it is one of the things you have to work with your own bodies, see what's possible uh, and not possible. And that's what you're doing, guys, with, with the breathing meeting is really, really important because since we're all different, you have to explore all those things with a bunch of different techniques and see what works, what doesn't work. And also understanding that it can be trained, right? So I'll give you another example, although it's not really, really to that, but for example, right now, I can only hold my breath for 30 seconds. 
but they can be trained, right? With a bit of training, you can go to one minute super easily. Two minutes was my max when I was scuba diving. I think the, lo the, the, the longest uh, human being is able to do that is 10 minutes and 42 seconds, but not doing any exercise, right? So that's something you can train and what technique you use just to before and after is also very important. Here it's about, can you change your, your rhythm pattern so you don't have this big inhale that would totally engage your, your core muscles in a way that is not good for your kata. That's, um, it, there's no, I, th I think it's absolutely possible. It has something to be trained, but how long of a of small inhale and how big they have to be that has to be worked out individually. So yeah, I, I have I have two hypotheses because it's not tested about why slow breeze, slow exhaust is better. The first one is that as any biochemical reaction, it has a timing. And so it's not the exchange of CO2 and oxygen is not immediate. So if you, then you're only going to exhaust you know, if, if you're, what you breathe in was highly charged in oxygen and less CO2, you're going to breathe out mostly the same mixture, okay? So this will not clear your CO2 because you haven't exchanged it. Whereas breathing it slowly, you allow the equilibrium between the O2 and CO2 to uh, be achieved. And the, you know, the last little breath that you pump out is going to be very rich in CO2. The first one is not, okay? So that's just a timing, <clears throat> natural timing issue. The second is, I think it's brain related, is as long as you have something to exhaust, it's, it, it's your brain's saying that, you know, the next logical step is to breathe in. And so, you don't, you know, I, I know when I hold my breath, if I hold it very, you know, without breathing out, okay, and I would have to stop immediately. And then, but if I start breathing out during that time, adding that much time to the time that I don't have to breathe in. And I think that is uh, uh, more of a psychological component than a biochemical component. And I, I think the two collaborate why the slow breathing is is more efficient but that's that's for kendo and yaido in judo you can't do that you can't you breathe in and out all the time and that notion uh, in kendo that every time you breathe in you're vulnerable is very hard for me to understand because you know having done judo for 30 years if you do this you're vulnerable when you don't have oxygen in your lung. And mm -hmm. so you have to take short breeze regularly at all time to be at the top. So it's, it's a different mentality. And, and I guess it's because the exercise in Kendo and Yai is short control burst as opposed to continuous five minutes in, in mm -hmm. Judo. Yeah, what you're saying makes a lot of sense in both cases. Like, it, it's what you're doing, but then also when you're saying when you're when you're giving your your body time to actually first do the transfer of oxygen and into your cells and then carbon dioxide out, and then also given time for the chemical reaction inside the cells to actually burn and generate energy, uh, it makes sense that if you're 
breathing in and out too quickly, you're not giving enough time and then your body's naturally not working as efficiently as it should be. Yep. And if we take that into effect, into account, then in something where judo, where you're always active, 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 then there's definitely gonna be a, a much quicker transfer, which means you have to, the mechanical part of inhale, exhale will happen, have to happen more rapidly. And the other thing that you're doing in, in kendo and yai by, by pressuring your tendon is increasing the inside pressure of the gas because you're contracting your muscle instead of being, you know, the air in your lung being at the same density or pressure as the outside, it's higher, which means that the, the, the incorporation of the oxygen and the CO2 in the blood is dependent on the, the pressure, okay? And so by, by being tense, you increase the efficiency of the gas exchange as opposed to being with the same volume of oxygen, but totally relaxed. So that is, that is really, really cool because that's the first time I heard that. I'm just wondering if that is a, also a hypothesis or is it actually like proven physiology where by tightening muscles, it actually increases the pressure inside Yeah, I mean, that's, that's what's, you know, if you read any of the COVID-19 stuff, okay? So the first step is to just give uh, more oxygen, but without increased pressure. The next step is to bring in more pressure so that you inflate the lung and you increase. So there is a PO2, the pressure oxygen is, it's not a volume that you're measuring, it's a pressure. So uh, just like when you do soda water, okay? So water can take up a certain amount of gas at normal level of pressure. There's a saturation of oxygen. If you go to, you know, up in the altitude, you will start seeing that bubbling because the pressure is less. And so the gas is, is evaporating from the water. And if you force it with a CO2 canister, then you will force dissolved CO2 into the water at a higher concentration. So that is all dependent on the pressure and not the volume of oxygen or, or, or gas. But it works both for the CO2 and for the O2. So an increased pressure will increase the local concentration of your oxygen and your CO2. But it will make going through the membranes and binding to the, the blood a lot more efficient. Yeah, and when we're talking in this manner, we're, we're using like physics and we're using chemistry. So when I think about that, it's like there's only these set limits of how things are happening, like how much of one thing can make how much of another thing, and there's timing involved. So in that case, what is the actual benefit of being able to like training yourself to hold your breath or training yourself to do more of that if physically it's all happening anyways? So biochemically, your muscle can work with or without oxygen, okay? The only difference is how much lactic acid you make. So by being able to work out efficiently, no matter what your level of oxygen is, it's, it's going to help you. You're training your brain, I think, more than your body. You, you can't change the concentration of oxygen that's 
is accepted by your, you can increase your lung capacity, okay? But you can't change the basic, you know, how much gas you can put into your oxygen. I mean, if you do the hyperventilation, okay? So I, th I think that will answer probably your question. If you do hyperventilation, you know, like for, for a few minutes, and that allows you to stay underwater, you know, almost double the time that you would do normally. If you did that in Yaido or Kendo, you'd be drunk. You wouldn't have control of your movement. You, the oxygen level in your brain is, is super high. You can exercise uh, uh, very high, but your control is lost. So I think that training your breathing, you're training your brain to function for a longer time and CO2. But your body can do it no matter what. It's your brain that will stop you and will force you to take a break and, and breathe. That's that's my yeah. opinion. No, but it is it is actually about the brain. Again, it's about the carbon dioxide detection center that are in the brain. And you can actually uh, force them to calm down. You're, we're not going to die. We're going to be okay, right? So that's the mental part of our training that is so so important. I just wanted to uh, add something for for you for for your thoughts. So I, I used to be a scuba diver, right? And uh, we also did some apnea diving as a training exercise. And it's actually very interesting what happens to you when you actually hold your breath for for long enough. Probably not thirty seconds, but longer than this. Actually, this paper on that. So if you want, I can actually forward them to you. But. Uh, especially young kids, the younger, the better this reaction is, our body tried to give us the advantage for that. So one of the things our body does is first increasing the heart rate, and then it's going to decrease. And, but so decrease sounds like counterintuitive, but why would you decrease the heart rate? Well, there's two things. First is the harder it beats, the more fuel and oxygen it uses, right? You need to tone it down a little bit. And second, it goes together with, we are degreasing the blood supplies to things that are not essential. So think your extremities, the thing like this. So it's really, so it's very much like a few white papers about whales diving and stuff. Same thing happened to human at a much more uh, milder scale. And the last thing that happens, and we have a, a reserved of red blood cells that carry the hemoglobin in our spleen. So those get, push back into circulation. So we have more hemoglobin and so more oxygen reserve stored in the blood as well. So now we all have to think about, is it actually good for our EIDO or is it bad? So I don't have a good answer for you. My problem is this first spike in tachycardia. So increase of heart rate before it slows down. And that that's, that's not necessarily good for EIDO. I think it would be good for Kendo because it gives you this extra tenseness and maybe explosiveness. I don't know, that's that's food for thoughts. And I haven't teased out everything, but I keep thinking about that. Cool, I, I think Peter had a question. Did you have something? I was, I was gonna add the, the whole, the oxygen or sort of the CO2 level in your brain. You're just changing the limits of where you're like you, the, the, the brain will probably not well calibrated of where that, that limit is. And then when you say, oh, I can last longer this way, the, the CO2 level is not so bad. So just, you know, calm down. But yeah, you get to a point where 
if you're holding your breath long enough, you start to convulse. It's like you can feel a convulsion coming on and then even that you can kind of calm down and you know, it's okay, yeah. just relax a little bit more, it'll, it'll, it'll ease, but yeah, I think also like when you do exercises, when you train your ability to eliminate lactic acid is they found out this in high level athletes that they're able to eliminate lactic acid very, very quickly. They're able to store a lot more oxygen in there and there's a lot more hemoglobin. Their blood is hemoglobin and myoglobin seems to have like you know, higher levels and efficiency. So that's, that's where you can you know, increase those, those aspects within the human body. But yeah, you can't change the physics. No, I think here, as I said, the, the right word is calibration. We can recalibrate our settings. Uh, so blood pressure is one thing we can recalibrate, right? If it's too high, you take some pills for 10 years or so, and then you remove the pills and you have your new normal. And it's exactly the same thing about breathing. We can consciously reset our calibration done by the unconscious brain. It's absolutely right. And it's true for many, many things. And I'm going to add something more on, on also on this thing about uh, lactic acid. So that's, that's really true. Actually, athletes are really good at recycling lactic acid uh, produced during an extreme effort. And actually, it's done by your liver. So the liver will reconvert that lactic acid back into glucose and voila. <laughs> so actually, uh, Michael Phelps actually did, was a guinea pig for those research. And he had a super liver who can like turnover lactic acids in, in record times. And that's why you can like pull off a uh, 20 or 40, hundred meters dash, you know, or whatever. But, I, yeah. I, I wonder whether you can train that with alcohol, <laughs> oh, you, you know, with wine so that, you know, you get better at training for lactic acid. Yeah. With wine. Could, you quickly, could you quickly explain what is lactic acid and yeah. what's going on with that? So as I mentioned earlier, one of the fuel our muscles use is glucose. Actually, glucose is the fuel for every cells of your body. Everybody loves glucose. The brain function only on glucose. And there's two ways that you can use to burn that fuel. You can burn it with oxygen in presence of oxygen. So there's actually biochemistry pathways for that. It goes through the citric acid cycle, and then oxidative phosphorylation with the mitochondria. If you had any of that in your high school, maybe you remember this. But long story short, you burn it in presence of oxygen. That's the most efficient way of burning your fuel to create energy. Because eventually what you're trying to do is by burning that fuel, you create this energy molecule we call ATP, right? That's the most uh, efficient way of doing it. If you don't breathe properly, right? You're short on oxygen. And so there's the backup way of burning glucose, which is which turns it into lactic acid. So that produces a whole lot less energy. And lactic acid, it's an acid and that will decrease the pH of your cells. So that's not ideal because if you do too much of that, you're going to decrease the efficiency of your muscles because the pH is too low and the contraction doesn't work so well as that. So that comes uh, with, with issues. And the day after our muscles are sore. Yes, that's because the next of lactic day. acid. Yes. And, and so to, to make it even more clear, I think, you know, glucose has uh, six carbon. If you destroy, if you provide enough oxygen, you will 
transform all of this carbon into six CO2, okay? But you need the oxygen. If you don't have enough oxygen, you're going to stop in the middle of the way and you're going to produce lactic acid going from six to, I believe it's three for lactic acid, okay? And lactic acid is very close to ethanol as, as a organic uh, molecule. It's the acid version simplified. Of, so, so that's why the, 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 the liver is capable of, of changing it back into glucose. You can reassemble the undigested carbon and, and reform it, but it's less efficient because, you know, it's, it's, it's like a, a dam. Okay. So the, the energy you can produce from a dam, if the water is that level, you can go all the way down. That's a maximum energy. Now, by having less oxygen, you're going to actually, you, you would raise the gates to that level so that that's the only mm. amount of energy that you can produce. And I mean, we, we all eat pretty well, I think. So the, the energy limits that we have is not the limits that our body can deal with. If, if you are, you know, I mean, I know you're super skinny, Patrick, but you're still not malnourished. So typically the oxygen is going to be the limiting component, not the carbon source. And so to, to, to tie things up a little bit, so we need to breathe properly to have proper performance, but also this idea is you have to streamline. Don't do excessive movement, weed out things that are not needed because if you do extra movement, you're using muscle energy and oxygen that you don't have to. So I think part of our training is the, the breathing component of that, but also how physically, what is what what do I need to to do at the bare minimum, pure, clean, and the physiologic component of that is, you have more energy for the rest and more oxygen and therefore better performance. So that that all links together. Can I just throw out my understanding so far? I just want to make sure it's clear and. If it's wrong, please correct me. So one of the things that we just mentioned is that you need enough oxygen to efficiently burn the glucose so that we have the maximum energy. If we didn't have enough oxygen in our cells, then we would be doing it inefficiently, not getting enough, not only not getting enough energy, but also creating this lactic acid that hurts us. I think uh, it's less a problem of enough energy, but more a problem. Let's not create lactic acid. That's really what you try to focus on Sorry. Okay. so we don't want to create lactic acid and to do that we need enough oxygen in our cells now to get enough oxygen in our cells we need to make sure that our blood isn't filled with carbon dioxide so that so that the carbon dioxide can be expelled from the cells in exchange for oxygen in the blood because what we're saying what i think is it's sounding like is if there's too much carbon dioxide in the blood the the cells can't get rid of the carbon dioxide within its walls, which means it can't fit any more oxygen inside. So even though you have enough oxygen surrounding it, the oxygen can't get into the cell because the cell is filled with carbon dioxide, which it can't get rid of. Yeah. Is that correct? Yeah. Okay. So then if we're not efficient in how we're using our muscles, if we're, if we're just using everything, then we're actually filling up our bloodstream with useless carbon dioxide because we've been burning from other places, which makes it less efficient for us to get the oxygen in 
to the cells that we want to have burned. Does that sound? Yeah, so yeah. it sounds correct. So yeah, that's that's basically. I mean, it's a comparison to a computer. Okay, if you are running uh, twelve application at the same time, okay, that would be, you know, doing Dido like that, as opposed to you have just two application that you really need. You know, you've got your leg and your arm and everything else is quiet. So your brain doesn't have to deal with movements, random movement from all over the place. It just has to deal with one motion. And so not only are you using less fuel, not increasing your CO2 level, but you're also allowing your brain to focus on just one simple task. Now, now you're now you're speaking my language. <laughs> <In good. laughs> and it, it's totally true. It's a great analogy because what the the bottleneck in computers, what most people don't realize, is not the computing power, the CPU, because the CPU needs to grab information from the memory to do work. So the actual bottleneck is that line, is those pipes between the CPU and the memory. And if you're filling it up with too much different things, then the CPU just doesn't have like it can run as fast as it wants, but it's not doing what it need, what you want it to be doing, because you're running all these different applications. Yeah, so that's a good, yeah. this yeah. is cool. I'm really I'm really happy that like my high school chemistry is actually coming back and helping me understand this. There's actually a use for this kind of stuff. It's crazy. Cool. So we have uh, we're technically at time, but if anyone wants to continue, I still have a little bit of time. Do you? Let's let's go to the group first. Does anyone have anything, any questions or things they want to add to the conversation so far? Ron? In your the instruction you're receiving to for EIDO, let's say uh, you're doing a, a form. Are you being instructed to do it with one breath or you know? Yeah. <laughs> disregard that. Depends squeeze teaching. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So one breath is ideal. That should be our, what we should be striving for, but as little breath as possible. And should you need to pause, do it strategically. So this pauses, as we know in, in some katas where mm -hmm. if you need to breathe, now is the time because before it's going to really affect the quality of your kata. So yes, absolutely. So I keep working on that. It's not something we focus on every single one because it's, mm -hmm. You know, it's really up to us to, to work on that, that our senses not here trying to listen to us. Is it one breath? But when, when, we, when we do exercise with Uprasense, the idea is we're breathing out as we are going down, and then we take as many large breaths as we want. And then the next time we breathe in is doing the large Ochiburi breathing in, and then out for the rest of the Kata. So that's for my. Mm. The other one, it's varies, yeah. but. Basically, chiburis are the best time to breathe in because you're opening your chest naturally. So might as well take advantage of that to bring in more <laughs> oxygen. So everything, if you think about it, it's, you, you will figure out when to breathe in because it's, it makes sense when you know the mechanics of breathing and the muscles involved. Mm. And, and are you also instructed not to show the respiration? <laughs> That's something I've heard of only once. 
but it it makes sense in terms of the the scenario of the kata, right? You, you know, if you put yourself in a scenario, and I'm very much a scenario person, I need to visualize my techie, my opponent. Otherwise, I don't know what I'm doing, and and so you don't want to give away your opponent that you're about to strike because then it's going to strike you faster. So mm -hmm. if you're Kendo, you know all about this because if you switch your feet a little bit, they know they're going to you're going mm -hmm. for your stuff. So same thing for breathing. Try to um, be as minimalistic as possible, which means you have to change which muscle you use most. So maybe you won't use so much your intercostals that you're going mm -hmm. to use more your diaphragm because it mm -hmm. shows a lot less. Mm -hmm. so yes, I've heard about that once and actually it makes a whole lot of sense to me. All right, thank you. Peter, you, you had your hand up. I have a less EIDA-oriented question. It's more of, because I know these guys are, you know, embryologists. What, from going from non-breathing to breathing, what kind of physiological chain of events happens from when they go from placental blood oxygenation to actual lung exchange oxygenation? That's a good one. <laughs> I mean, when, so inside of the womb, the only one breathing is the mom and yeah. the blood from the mom is oxygenating the baby. So there's yeah. no breathing at that point. The only start of the breathing is during childbirth. And at that point, basically, you know when they start breathing, and you know that's the first cry and the first ki. Yeah, the first ki. Before that, there is no breathing involved, and after that, it's exactly like there's no no difference, just a little shallower and faster. Everything is faster in the baby. That's but how, <clears throat> what kind of like meant like? reaction like do they how is it, it it's just like an innate sort of set of protocols in your in in the baby's brain saying okay we've been separated switch over mm. is that has that ever been identified or is that it's, it's a very good question very very good question so one of the so the first thing when you when you deliver a baby is you empty its lung so dom said they don't breathe that's true but they do have fluid in their lungs right so you need to get rid of that when you re get rid of this this water and you help along by tapping the baby gently on the, on the buttocks it's going to bring in oxygen to the lungs that's a shock your lungs have never seen air before and that's going to trigger a whole set of mostly nervous reaction and that will kick in the center the breathing center of your brain and start the breathing pattern uh, and, and an expression of that is the first cry, right? Because like, <gasps> and oh, it hurts, it's oxygen. Well, I've never seen that before. So yeah, to be this air coming into the lungs that really trigger this, now we start to use those lungs for something. Hmm. And that's just on the lung level. Yes, all and the things also happening at the heart and liver level, but that's- And I think that's out. also why you can just throw a baby in the water. Their, their uh, throat is going to, shut down automatically it's a reflex because they recognize the, 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 the liquid the brain recognizes liquid not not the baby so so you know they they remember like oh yeah i know this environment there's no need to breathe i have a follow-up question because you mentioned the 
there is a breathing center in your brain. Where is that and what have they done? How, oh, right. It's the medulla oblongata, if you want to know. So it's, you know, at the base of your skull, if you were able to go in a little bit, it would be in that part of the brain. So this lower part of the brain, it's still in the skull, but about to exit through the hole here, has a bunch of very important centers. So there's the breathing center here. There's a center that regulates your heart rate. There's a center that regulates deglutition. So for those that choke when they do something, they know all about that one because it, it, it regulates that. So there's really, it's a life center. That's why it's so bad when you have an accident, you have a, a, a neck injury because you could damage those centers and eventually you can die right away. So, so that, yeah, that's why it is. Okay. The big well, one, I should say there's others out there, but this is the most important one. It's important to be there. Oscar, did you have anything you want to ask or comment on? Okay, Kru-sensei, is there anything you want to? No, <laughs> it's complicated, yeah. So I don't know where to start. So we need another hour, yeah. So I'll leave it at that, but uh, <laughs> I, I, I don't, yeah. There's too many questions, yeah. So we don't have time. <laughs> well, then we definitely want to have you guys back for sure. a second round sometime soon. So well, thank you so much. I'll, I, I got the recording for this, but at some points, because my internet, it was kind of choppy, but I'll send it to you, you guys as usual. Everyone can take a look at it first. And then we can also think about some follow-up questions and then we'll be in touch mm -hmm. again to, to maybe hold another one of these type of sessions. In the meantime, we I hold this every morning on Saturday, so we'll still be doing that. You guys are free to join anytime you want. And yeah, so I'll see most of you, some of you on tomorrow and some of you on Tuesday and later. Thank you so much for, for this. It's been yes, great. Thank you much for letting us. Thank you. Hey guys, I hope you enjoyed that episode because we have a lot more exciting conversations to share as we explore the world of the traditional Japanese martial arts. This work is only possible due to the active engagement of the community, and I need your help to keep it going. Please leave your comments, questions, feedback, and ideas with us on Facebook and Instagram at tokusukai.canada, subscribe to our monthly newsletter at subscribe.tokusukai.ca, or email us at podcast.tokusukai.ca. Until next time, thanks for listening.